Hello everyone and welcome to episode 21 of the Luna's Galaxy podcast. My name is Emmy, but you can also call me Luna and I'll be the host of this show. Luna's Galaxy podcast goes live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcast services on Tuesday every two weeks. For this episode, we have four segments, gaming news, what I've been playing, questions, and a topic of the show. Um, the question segment and the topic of the show segment are like kind of intertwined, but I am going to, like my answer for the question is like very long. It's kind of like that, kind of like that, kind of messy, but they're kind of, they go together, okay? <laughs> so uh, this episode's topic of the show is going to be all about LGBTQ plus representation in gaming because it is Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, everyone, but especially those of you that are in the LGBTQ plus community. Hell yeah for that. <laughs> but before we get started, if you'd like to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I would very, very much appreciate it. And also, um, I have a new video up on YouTube. So I did sort of like a highlight video of my Final Fantasy VII Remake Intermission DLC streams. So I think it's fun. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Please be sure to check it out. Um, if you are not worried about Final Fantasy VII Remake DLC spoilers, or if you've already played it yourself, but, um, yeah, there are spoilers there, so if you want to avoid that, maybe don't watch it, <laughs> but I think it's a fun video if you want to watch it, so be sure to check that out, like, and comment on the video if you please, and I also just put out a reaction video to the new Final Fantasy XVI trailer, which is very exciting, uh, I literally just did that <laughs> before I recorded the podcast, so be sure to check that out as well if it interests you at all. But um, yeah, YouTube stuff. Please go watch it if you would like. <laughs> but anyway, let's get right into the gaming news. So the first gaming news that I want to talk about is to continue talking about the Hidden Bats ARG that's been going on with Spike Chunsoft, with I, the Somnium Files, Nirvana Initiative, all that type of stuff. So it's still going on. And I'm not going to do, obviously it's not topic of the show this week, this episode, so I'm not going to talk about it too, too much, <laughs> but I do want to give you guys kind of an update on what's been going on with the ARG. I don't have as many thoughts as I did last time with the I Name Binato stuff, but I still think the Hidden Bats ARG is very interesting, and I want to talk about it a bit. So, as of last episode... So, last episode when I recorded, we were just starting to get to know Mariha and Lumina, the two characters, how they were childhood friends, and kind of getting an idea that maybe they had to work together to get out of wherever they are. <laughs> and so, since then, there's been a lot of drama with Mariha and Lumina that I don't think anyone really expected. The girls were fighting. I can't remember... Okay, so here's what set it off. Here's what set off why they were fighting. So I think it was Lumina had to give Mariha her birthday. And so they're old friends, so we can assume that they know each other's birthdays. <laughs> and Lumina tweeted out, I don't remember the exact date, but it was like roughly like 2001. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember the exact dates. But basically she mixed up the numbers. She made a typo. So I think where the month was supposed to be 01, uh, she had the date as 01. And so anyway, <laughs> she mixed up the month and the day. It was like 01 and 05. And Mariha knew it was wrong. <laughs> uh, and she assumed that Lumina was like trying to lie to her. And so she started calling her like little Miss Liar. <laughs> 
and it was very messy. And then, of course, Lumina got upset when she saw that Mariha, because Mariha blocked Lumina after all of this. And it, it was very, very messy. <laughs> but it was very fun. Like, I was living for the drama. It was very entertaining. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I think they're my favorite duo out of the Hidden Best ARG thing so far. And what was also very funny was, I think it was the last day that Lumina was able to tweet. She was having, like, if you ever played, like, Danganronpa or Ace Attorney, she was having, like, that type of breakdown where it's, like, the criminal is caught and they start just losing their mind. And I, Lumina isn't even, like, she didn't purposely lie. It was literally just a typo. Um, but she started tweeting out just like, fucking bitch, fucking bitch, fucking bitch, fucking bitch. And like all these things that like you would expect to see if you were playing Danganronpa and like the character was losing their mind before they got executed. Like that's the energy that Lumina was giving. <laughs> it was very funny. And what was shocking to me, I did not expect this to happen, was so remember last time for Ani and Binto, they had the balance experiment. And so we had to balance out the likes and retweets on one of their tweets and Ina won by, I want to say, like, four votes-ish. And I thought, you know, there's no way out of this entire ARG that anything is ever going to be balanced because, like, we would just be, like, that would be too lucky. Like, what are the chances? There's probably going to be someone at the last minute that skews the vote one way or the other. But we were actually able to balance the votes this time. And granted, last time it was balanced between likes and retweets, Whereas with Mariha and Lumina, it was to balance the follower count. So I think that was a bit easier, but I was sure that it was not going to be balanced, especially anytime that I checked um, around the time that like the time was up, it was, it was never, <laughs> it was never balanced. But then when Hidden Bats tweeted out their screenshot that they took at the time, it was balanced. So that was not expected. So both of them actually got saved from the Hidden Bats ARG. So that was very nice. <laughs> Although I am kind of disappointed that we didn't get to see them fight because I think Mariha tweeted something like, once I get out of here, I'm going to beat the shit out of her. <laughs> but unfortunately, we didn't get that. But, you know, maybe one day I would like to, <laughs> I'd like to see it. <laughs> and so after that, things once again got very interesting. So as we suspected, there were going to be two new characters. There's going to be another round of this Hidden Bats ARG of this experiment. And... So this was not expected. So, well, it was expected that there was going to be another round, but the characters were not expected. So one of the characters in this third round was kind of like what you would expect. His name's Cairo. He is, his like, his artwork where you like see the picture of him, like his profile picture, his thing on the Snyker Foundation website. Um, it looks, it's like the same style as the other characters that we've seen so far. It's basically what you expect. But the other character <laughs> that got kidnapped was Aset. Iris from I the Somnium Files. So if you've played I the Somnium Files, you will know Aset, Iris, whatever you want to call her. She's the one with the pink hair and like the kind of like cat ear looking like headband, headphones, whatever. One of the main characters of the game. And uh, she got kidnapped too. So it's Aset and Cairo. So that was, that took a lot of people by surprise. People were not expecting Aset to be kidnapped. Um, so as of the time that I'm recording this, there's only been, I want to say, four days so far of them. So we still have a bit to go. So yeah, very, very interesting. I don't know how this is going to affect uh, the new I the Summoning Files game that's coming out. Honestly, I want to say that won't affect it. <laughs> because that would be, like, how would they go about that? 
And also Oda started tweeting again. So Oda's another character in Insomnium Files. And his Twitter started getting active, I want to say a few days before ASAC got kidnapped. And then once once ASAC got kidnapped, Oda was like, we need to we need to save her. And he's been making some, you know, some Oda tweets for sure. Very um simping and you know, all that. So Oda's active again because before ASAT was the one like quote retreating hidden bats and being like, oh, we gotta do something, you know, that type of stuff. And now Oda's kind of doing it to save ASAT, essentially. So that's <laughs> so that's been happening. And I really I'm really curious to see how this will shake how this will shake out. I like personally, <laughs> I think it would be really interesting. And I know a lot of people aren't gonna like this, but I think it would be really interesting if we let ASAT die. That might be, like, really wild to suggest. I'm not, like, suggesting it. I'm just saying, like, if I had to pick, I would let Cairo live. I, like, from what I've seen of Cairo's tweets, like, he's really funny and I'm really enjoying him as a character. He's he's just really funny. He has himbo energy and I love that. But, like, Asa, I mean, I like her, but I'm just, like, wouldn't it be so much more interesting? Like, how would that, like, because I don't think it would affect anything. Like, they're not going to kill her off in, like, the I universe. It's like, probably a different timeline that they're in. And so I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> like, if I can only pick one, I will pick Cairo. But yeah, I think, like, I doubt anyone is going to actually try and kill off Aset. But I think it would be interesting. <laughs> and so, actually, these past two days, both of their accounts, so Cairo and Aset, have tweeted out, like, one half of a QR code. And they're different QR codes, unfortunately. And so people are, like I, myself, and the community are really hoping that we get the second half of those QR codes uh, tonight and tomorrow night as time that I'm recording this. So, um, you know, by the time this goes live, hopefully one of the QR codes will be done. And I don't know what's going to lead to. I think, it, like, maybe it'll be BATS 490 video because that's what they talk about in Nirvana Initiative, whereas we're dealing with BATS 489 right now. Maybe it'll be free to free. I, I don't really see that though. Maybe like, I don't know what it'll be, but I'm very excited for it. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this ARG and like, I, I don't want it to end, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, it's been very interesting so far. Hidden Bats ARG is, it's like every night at 11 p.m. for me, I like go on Twitter and I just get very excited. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's your little Hidden Bats update. So, also in news, so this is kind of bad news. So, if you pre-ordered I, the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative on Amazon US, so United States Amazon, keep an eye on your email. I think a lot of people have already gotten these emails. I don't really know if they're still going out, but a lot of people are getting emails that they're having their Nirvana Initiative Collector's Edition pre-order canceled. I think it's just the Collector's Edition, not the Standard Edition. And from what I've heard, it is only on Amazon US. So I did my pre-order through Amazon Canada. I haven't gotten an email. Like, I really haven't heard anything from anyone other than those that pre-ordered on the United States Amazon. But if you did do that, <laughs> definitely keep an eye on your email. Uh, I don't, I think you might also want to check your orders on Amazon because I think some people mentioned that they did not get an email, but then they went to check their order and it wasn't there. So just just double check everything. Uh, Spike Chunsoft has confirmed the issue but hasn't said much about what the problem is other than to contact Amazon customer support which hasn't really been really helpful for people. 
So just something to be aware of. You might, if you have placed an order with Amazon US, you might want to try and get a pre-order someone else in case yours gets canceled. It's, it's just something to think about. <laughs> um, but yeah, really unfortunate. I feel like, I think I might have talked about this last time with uh, like sort of the half delay that they're doing with Nirvana Initiative for I think Europe and Oceania. Like, I don't know if Spike Chunsoft has ever had, <laughs> it feels like a good launch for a game. It feels like there's always some sort of problem. But yeah, just be aware of that. <laughs> oh, it's unfortunate. I hope I hope you all get your collector's edition. But anyway, we also got more trailers for Fire Emblem Three Hopes, showing off the new character designs, and I like most of them. At this point, we've seen all of like the main three houses, all those characters, and I really like them for the most part. There's a few ones that look weird, like I know Ingrid is one where it's like, what did they do to her? But like most of the character redesigns, I think are like really good, like. I think they're either on par with the Three Houses time skip outfit things, designs, or they're better. You know, I think Lysithia is one of the ones that looks a lot better. Whereas, you know, a character like Marianne or Hilda, I'm like, you know, they they look like on par. Like, it's hard to choose between the Three Hopes design, the Three Houses design, because I really like them both, which is good. And there's a few like Ingrid. <laughs> it's just like, oh, goddamn. But I'm really excited for Fire Emblem Three Hopes, so... Yeah, <laughs> there was also a state of play. So I did not watch this state of play live because I was traveling. However, there were some really big announcements. Like state of play seemed to be really weird. Like state of plays either have like next to nothing in terms of big announcements or they have like one or two big announcements from Capcom or Square Enix. <laughs> like that's the only pattern I can find with state of plays. It's either there's like nothing or at least in like the AAA like really big scheme of things or it's like a new Resident Evil remake or a Final Fantasy game and this state of play had both which like I wasn't expecting I know a lot of people were, were getting their hopes up and of course I'm just kind of saying they're like guys come on it's a state of play and they have not been great recently but this one was a big one so I do wish I got to watch it live but it is what it is <laughs> So Resident Evil 4 Remake got announced and this is going to be coming out March 24th, 2023. And this has been rumored for a while, so I wasn't surprised, but I, I'm surprised that like we saw it as state of play. I would have expected to see it somewhere bigger, but this is very exciting. So like I don't have much experience with the Resident Evil series, but I did play uh, a decent amount of Resident Evil 4. Um, I played it on the PS4, the remaster. And I got to about the part where I think her name is Ashley and I got to the part where she's kind of like following you and that's and that's basically when I stopped playing because I was like, I cannot keep an eye on this bitch. Um, so <laughs> like I literally just got annoyed with her and stopped playing. But up until that point, I was really enjoying it. So I might go back to it now that the remake is announced because I do want to play that. I think that Leon is very nice to look at. So yeah, I might go back to Resident Evil 4. I know a lot of people really love that game and like praise it for its game design. And I definitely see it like from what I played of it. I think it's great. So I just, I think I got to get back into it. But now I got to decide if I want to like start fresh or if I just want to continue from the playthrough that I started. But we'll see. <laughs> very good news though. I think a lot of people are going to be very happy about that. Um, also, Spider-Man is getting remastered on PC, so that's cool. And then there was a game, and I watched a bit of the trailer for it. I think it looks cool. 
So this was Eternites, I think is how I say it. And this is coming out early 2023. And from what I can remember, this is like a dating sim, but it also has like hack and slash elements. It looks really cool. I really like the style of it. I want to see more of it. Like it might, be, I think it'll be a game that I like get on sale or something, but I think it looks pretty cool. Didn't expect it. I think it's like brand new, just got announced. I could be wrong about that, but this is my first time seeing it for sure. And I think it looks cool. <laughs> And then we got a trailer for Final Fantasy 16, and this is going to be coming out summer 2023, which I think sounds perfect. I know a lot of people want to see this a bit sooner, but honestly, I would rather them give it a later release date than we expected than to see it like eventually just get delayed to that date anyway. So I'm very excited for this. If you haven't and you are interested, I did a little reaction video on my YouTube channel to the trailer. And I think it looks great. Like, I'm very excited. I wasn't really hyped for Final Fantasy 16 before this. Like, I was like, I know I'll probably buy it when it releases because I really, you know, I trust that it's going to be a good game, <laughs> essentially. But, like, nothing I'd seen had really made me really hyped for it so far. But I think from what we saw, it looks a lot more polished now. I'm really interested in the characters and the summons. It looks gorgeous. I really like the music. I'm, I'm hyped for it now. I'm, like, I'm on the Final Fantasy 16 hype train. I wasn't before. I'm excited to see more of it. I'm excited to play it. If you haven't watched the trailer already, I highly recommend it. It looks great, but yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and then we saw some Street Fighter 6 and we also, I, I don't know, was there a Stray release date? Did Stray already have a release date? I don't remember, but it's coming out July 19th <laughs> and there's a new trailer for it. So that was cute. But that's essentially it for gaming news. <laughs> so let's talk about what I've been playing. So I have, I'm still playing Fire Emblem Three Houses. I am still doing the Golden Deer route. I, I think I'm towards the end of it. So that's good because <laughs> I'm getting kind of drained on it. It's a very long game, especially when you're doing like multiple playthroughs. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Hell yeah. I don't know who I'm going to romance yet though. I think I'm going to do Dorothea. But we'll see. <laughs> And I finally finished Ratchet and Clank, the PS3 remaster, and I really like it. Kind of like, I know I've talked about this so many times, it took me like so long to finish it, but I, I do really like it. I think if you haven't played it, it might be worth it. But at the same time, I think that there are better Ratchet and Clank games. Um, so I did start Ratchet and Clank going Commando. That's the second Ratchet and Clank game. It's also on the PS3 remastered collection. And I'm really enjoying this one. I think it's just, it's better than the first one already. And I think a lot of that is just quality of life stuff. Obviously games like Ratchet and Clank usually aren't too big on the story. It's not the main focus. So you don't really need to play the first one to like understand the second one or anything. But yeah, it's really, it's really good. It plays better for sure. I think it looks a bit better, but really, I just think that the gameplay improvements really make it better. <laughs> so like, I think I would recommend starting with this one rather than the first one if you, like, don't have any nostalgia for the first one. Because I do have a bit of nostalgia for the first one, even though this is my first time finishing it. Which, I must say, that final boss and that final world in, like, the first Ratchet & Clank game was very difficult. <laughs> that was hella difficult, but I did it. I, I grinded and I got good. So, yeah, I finished it. <laughs> But yeah, I really recommend going Commando more so than the first one if you haven't played either of them and you want to get into Ratchet and Clank. I think I'm still kind of early into going Commando. I've done like a few planets, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. 
And that's really all that I've been playing. I've really been focusing on uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses because I really want to finish the Golden Deer route. <laughs> I just want to knock it out and have it done so I can fucking do something else. So, yeah. <laughs> Not much of an update there. But for this episode, it is Pride Month. It is June. <laughs> so the question that I had for y'all this episode was what are some of your favorite LGBTQ plus characters, relationships, and representations in gaming? And if none come to mind, was a series that you'd like to see more LGBTQ plus representation in? Because Lord knows we need more of it. <laughs> so let's get into your answers. So V had a pretty long answer here. <laughs> so I might uh, stop and start a little bit, but Let's read V's answer. So V said, Persona 4 as a whole, but especially Yuki Chie. They balance each other very well and are exactly what the other person needs. I just think their friendship is super sweet and the anime made the moment extremely tender and wholesome. The sapphic yearning clenches fist. Yeah, I, I, I did not say that these LGBTQ plus characters or relationships had to be canon. So keep that in mind. We might be, we might be seeing some more like shippy stuff that isn't, you know, official per se. But yeah, I really like Persona 4 as a whole, I think, is just like an extremely queer coded game, even if um, none of the characters are explicitly gay <laughs> or, you know, trans or any of that. I think it's just very coded. And I think you, Yuki Chie is a great example of that. Love them. <laughs> I love girls. Um, anyway... <laughs> V also says, everyone talks about Soriku, so let me talk about something else. Shion and Namine are trans girls. I don't make the rules. Shion and Namine are both part of Sora. Namine less so, but let's be real, she can't exist if it wasn't for Sora. And take on feminine appearances despite coming from a male character. And yeah, like, I, I'm a, like, I haven't really thought of Namine being uh, trans or any sort of, like, gender non-conforming. I haven't thought of that before, but, like, I have thought of Shion like that before, because it's, like, very... I want to say almost like canon, like they would like, obviously they're not going to in canon say Shion's a trans girl, but like to me it's canon that Shion's a trans girl because like just play 358 over two days. There is some heavy, heavy implications there that, yeah, no, I've always seen Shion that way and yeah, hell yeah, let people like, I this is, okay, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this. Like, I feel like some people would read something like that. Like, she had a nominee of trans girls. And they're, they'll just automatically be like, no, they're not. Like, what do you mean? Like, what are you saying? And it's just like, let people live. Like, I'm not here to make an argument. I mean, maybe for Shion. But, like, I'm not going to, like, fight someone on that fact. Like, if like if it's a fact. But if people want to view a character a certain way, I don't think it harms anyone. For the most part, unless you're like looking at a kin and like gay character and you're saying that they're straight, that might be a bit harmful. But you know, just saying that a character is trans, it like it usually doesn't affect anything. It's just like let people live. <laughs> but yeah, I love that because you're right. A lot of people do talk about Soriku, but I don't think a lot of people talk about gender, especially with Shiana Nominate, which yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> 
And V also says, Bug Snacks is super good with with its representation. And I love how even though Floofty is a little shithead, they have the same pronouns as their VA, plus the jock, himbo, and nerdy MLM couple, the sad barrier gaze lesbians, pansexual wiggle. We love to see it. I haven't played Bug Snacks. <laughs> I do want to play it at some point though. And I didn't I had no idea that it would have any sort of representation. So that's actually like hella cool. I did not know that. And is this the last thing that V said? Yes. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> v had a lot of answers, but I'm living for them. V says, Fire Emblem Three Houses has really good LGBT women characters, Edelgard, of course, but Dorothea has a lot of depth to her and is a huge sweetheart once you get past her shallowness, which is not even shallow, but this isn't the conversation we're having. And as much as Mercedes doesn't really flirt with the other female characters, despite being a female byleth option, I really love her. Also, Leonie and Ingrid are both lesbians. <laughs> I definitely love the Ingrid and Dorothea pairing because in the paralogue battle they shared, Dorothea keeps calling her my Ingrid. Oh my god, that, that's pretty gay. And even proposes to her at the- wow, what? I do not remember this. Okay. Dorothea is very protective of Ingrid and to me, they're very sun and moon suffix. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think- and this is kind of in my answer. I think a few other people's answer too, but I think Fire Emblem Three Houses does have some really good LGBT women characters. I don't really know about the male characters, and this is partly just because I always play as, you know, the female main character when I'm given that chance. And so, like, I haven't personally looked into the male romances so much, but from what I've heard, the male LGBT representation in Three Houses isn't as... Um, clear. It's a bit more like, I don't like, it's like the male version of gal pals, I guess, is from what I've heard. And there's just less options, I believe. So I think one of the only like student options is Linhard, which to me, it's like, that's a gay man, <laughs> you know? But uh, I think another one might be like Aloise and Yuri, who's one of the DLC characters, which, you know, Yuri is, Yuri's definitely some sort of bisexual um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think there's as many when it comes to, like, the male romances in Three Houses, but of course we know Edelgard's my wife, but Dorothea, I really love Dorothea as well. She is, I think, really good, like, bisexual representation. She's just, like, so sweet and, like, flirty, and like you said, like, I don't think she's shallow, but she, she kind of presents herself that way at times. Man, I love Dorothea. You know, I think I am going to romance Dorothea in this playthrough. <laughs> but yeah, Fire Emblem Three Houses. I'm going to get into Fire Emblem Three Houses a bit more later, hopefully, if I remember, because I have a lot of thoughts on that representation, but I think you make a good point, V. And then V also said Nozo Ellie. <laughs> Nozomi and Ellie from Love Live, if you know, you know. And I think this is V's last thing. <laughs> Also, Airty, I am so about them. You have no idea. I can never talk about them eloquently, but I'll try, lol. I just love how they seem to take notice of each other in ways the other characters don't and how it's fully emphasized in Remake. I love the scene where they're in the, Shin in the Shinra building and Aerith asks Tifa if she's okay. Nobody really seems to ask Tifa this despite all the ass she's kicking. But Aerith notices how Tifa hides her emotions for the sake of everyone else. I feel them as very soft girlfriends, but with a lot of hurt comfort genre fanfic vibes. LOL. Plus the shopping date, the scene in OG where Aerith and Tifa just gently, just gently strokes her face. I can't talk today. Screams. <laughs> Plus when Tifa says friends don't do her Aerith justice. 
From the start, Aerith was worried about Tifa when she saw she was heading towards Don Corneo, plus how Tifa doesn't hesitate to protect Aerith since Tifa is able to punch and kick things into the stratosphere, and the hashtag girlboss moment in Remake where they beat up everyone. <laughs> They're just constantly complimenting and admiring the other. But I think my favorite of all is when Aerith is crying in the train graveyard, but Tifa helps her up and says, hey, we found you. She doesn't even know how much that means to Aerith, but it's one of the few moments we see Aerith's smile falter and Tifa knows exactly how to fend it. Best girls, fuck cloud, date each other queens. Okay, here's the very last thing that Visa. <laughs> also, Fang and Vanilla. I didn't even play that damn game, but there's no hetero explanation for that. And yeah, I think Aerith and Tifa, especially in Remake, I think you do see it a bit in the original, but especially in Remake, it's like they really like pandered a bit. Like, I don't know. I feel like it was pandering maybe a little bit. Like, I don't know how you could animate that and be like, this isn't a little bit gay. Because <laughs> there's just, it, you know what I mean? Like, Aerith and Tifa in Remake, like, I feel like they have more cute, flirty moments than either of them do with Cloud, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, it's just really gay. I love them. <laughs> also, um, Fang and Vanilla. So, I was under the impression that Fang and Vanilla were canon for, like, a very long time, but I don't know if they actually are. I think it's one of those things where it's, like, extremely heavily implied, but, like, they don't, like, go for it 100%, which, like you know, but I love them as well. I, I played most of 13 and they were like very, very homosexual. <laughs> and then QWERTY said, see team polyamory rights, but honestly, I love pewter. I know it was small, but okay. I have a Somnium Files spoilers. So here's your warning. I think this is going to be like 30, 30 ish seconds. Skip ahead like a minute if you're really worried. But um, I the Somnium Files spoilers, that one scene where Dante asked him why he let Renju out and he says, because it was Renju asking someone I love. And you can just feel the emotion in his voice. I have a bookmarked on Twitter because I love it so much. And yeah, I really like Pewter in I the Somnium Files. I think, I think that representation was done pretty good, like both him and Renju. And I should, I wasn't expecting it. You know what I mean? It was one of those moments where I was playing the game and, you know, Pewter, I think it might be revealed a bit before then, I can't remember, but wherever it got revealed that Pewter and Renju were a thing, I was just like, oh my god, like, I did not expect this, we have this married man, <laughs> like, that's actually, we'll assume bisexual, and then we had Pewter, and I'm just like, wow, that was surprisingly heartfelt, like, they don't focus on it much, it's just kind of, it's there, and you can tell, you can tell, like you said, that Pewter really loves Renju, and it's just like, goddamn, very grateful. <laughs> and then, um, then Mila says, I don't know if, if I say this as Madeline or Madeline, just the way it's spelled. I'm going to say Madeline from Celeste. Um, I have not played Celeste, but I have heard that it's great and it is good representation. So hell yeah. And then Adam says, C team thruple. I can't think of many canon gay characters, to be honest. That's some sad shit. <laughs> Um, Adam also ends up saying quite a lot of canon gay characters after he said that. So Adam says, Chloe and Max from Life is Strange were definitely favorites of mine when I was younger. Pewter from I, the Somnium Files, and clearly Mizuki. And then this is super late, but Ellie and Dina in The Last of Us. Obviously, how could I forget them? I love them. And yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said, Adam. C-Team Thruple is like honestly such a vibe. <laughs> And I forgot to mention that in QWERTY's answer as well, but, like, C-Team from Zero Time Dilemma, Junpei, Akane, and Carlos. Honestly, like, I'm, like, usually never one for polyamory ships. It just doesn't cross my mind most of the time. But C-Team in Zero Time Dilemma, I mean, come on. <laughs> They're great. I love them. 
and like genuinely I ship them. Is that weird to say? I don't know. Am I a shipper? I don't know. But I really love them. <laughs> and this is one of those like weird things where uh, Junpei's English voice actor Evan Smith has gone on to say that Junpei is bisexual. But it's one of those things where it's like, it's never really confirmed in the game. It's implied, etc., etc. So it's like, you can make the argument that he's canon because his voice actor said so. But then in the game, there's actually like, like I said, it's implied because I think someone asked his voice actor on Twitter, like, because there's one line that Junpei says to Carlos, like, are you interested in me or some shit like that? And, like, the voice actor asked, like, I think it was, like, the voice direction or, you know, someone that was directing him, like, is Junpei, like, being serious about this? <laughs> like, is it a joke? What's going on? And they said he was serious. So, Junpei bisexual? But, yeah, it's one of those things where it's, mm, it's like, we're not going to say it, but, like, we kind of are. Anyway, <laughs> I went on a bit there. Also, Chloe and Max, I love them, love them, and Pewter, once again. Also, Mizuki, like, this is one thing I'm, like, kind of dreading with Nirvana Initiative, is if they, like, is if Mizuki somehow ends up having, like, a male, in, like, love interest, because, like, in my mind, I'm just like, that is a lesbian. <laughs> and she does have that one line in the first game about the LGBT community that is, like, very iconic, and so, like, anyway, I don't think Mizuki is straight. You know, and I'm not saying she has to have a girlfriend. I'm just saying don't give her a boyfriend or I might be a bit upset. Also, Ellie and Dina, love them as well. And then Tyler, Tylerums, says, I gotta go with Chandlo and Snorby from Bug Snacks. I do not know these people. Erica and Catherine, but everyone knows I have to go with Edelgard. The correct answer. Uh, Tyler also says, honorable mention to every weapon character in Boyfriend Dungeon besides the cat. Interesting. And then... Lands. Lands' answer I really liked. <laughs> it was very simple but very to the point. So Lands didn't say any um LGBTQ plus like characters or relationships, but instead he answered, you know, the second part of that question, like what series would you like to see more LGBT rep from? And Lands just said all the series. <laughs> Every single series needs more LGBTQ plus rep. And I could not agree more. Like, honestly, best answer. Go to dancer, Lands. <laughs> You'd love to see it. Could not agree more. And then on Andre says, I love the relationship of Max and Chloe on Life is Strange. I'd like to see more representation in games as a whole, but I think definitely the Persona series is something that, that sorely needs and would greatly benefit from more LGBTQ plus representation. And, like, me too. <laughs> like, I think with a game like Persona especially, it would really benefit from having more options, more representations, just because of the social, like, aspect of that game. It is a game about relationships, and so it feels, it's always felt weird to me that, you know, in Persona 4, I can romance every female character. Essentially, I can romance the nurse that's, like, in her 30s when I'm a high school student, or, like, in Persona 5, I can romance my teacher. I can, like, there's a lot of really weird romances that you can do with female characters in the Persona games, whereas, you know, <laughs> when it comes to male characters, there, there's no gay romance options in at least the three games that I've played, you know, three, four, three, four, and five, there's no, there's no gay romance options. And it's like, why can I romance teachers, right? Which we, I think we can all agree is wrong, morally wrong <laughs> in the context of the game, but I can't romance Kanji or Yosuke or Ryuji 
or, you know, anyone. <laughs> it's really weird. And, you know, I think Persona could benefit from having some sort of system like Fire Emblem Three Houses where, you know, you don't need to have every single character be bisexual or be gay or, you know, be straight or whatever. But, you know, just give me some options. You know, I'm not saying that I have to be able to romance every single male character because, you know, at the end of the day, they, they might be straight. I'm just saying I would like to have, you know, a few options. Give me like three or four, two or three, whatever. Just a few options. That's all I'm fucking asking. And I think it would also be kind of cool if there were more female characters that, you know, maybe they're gay. Maybe you can't romance them when you're playing as a male protagonist. Just a thought. <laughs> but yeah, I think the Persona series, because I feel like it has sort of hinted, like I said, I think Persona 4 is extremely queer-coded in, like, every single way. Like, they've really hinted and sort of played at queer representation, but they just don't, they don't go into it. And, you know, I don't know how many of y'all know this, but in Persona 4, like, it, I think it was data miners that found that there was supposed to be a romance for Yosuke, but it got cut. Because there was, like, certain voice lines that were, like, this is kind of fruity. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Persona is a series especially that could really use representation. Or at least better representation. Or, like, here's the thing. Like, when you play Persona 5, there's that whole thing in Vanilla P5 where there's these really predatory gay men. And it's like, I would rather have no representation at all than to have representation like that, personally. And so, like, pretty much, and I feel like this is just Atlas in general. They don't do good with any LGBT stuff. <laughs> but I'm starting to go on a rant, so let me just, let me just reel it in and I will continue with your answers. <laughs> so, Bad Games Jules says, definitely Edelgard von, von Hersfeld. I hope I said that right. I'm always, like, you know, who says Hersfeld in their everyday life? <laughs> And then Richard says, well, Bioware has introduced LGBTQ romances in Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Star Wars, The Old Republic. In the first Mass Effect, it was a bit of a struggle with the Liara romance. So I don't have experience with any of those games, but um, I do know that they do have some LGBT stuff. So hell yeah for that. I hope it's good rep. I don't know. I haven't played it myself. <laughs> and then Odessa says, Ellie and Dina from The Last of Us 2. V, is it, is it pronounced V or Vi? I'm going to say V. V and Caitlin from Arcane League of Legends, Maxim Cloy from Life is Strange, Varus from League of Legends, not technically canon, but I'm deciding it's canon. I love that for you, Odessa. Like I said, doesn't have to be canon. I'm just, I'm just living. I'm just vibing. And then Ryan Giever says, Emil, 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 Emil? <laughs> I didn't get that far in Near Replicant, so I don't know how to say his name. But Emil and Kaine from Near Replicant, easy peasy. Tara wrote them so well and his response to questions around their sexuality slash biology are so respectful to them as gay boy and an intersex woman. It's so empowering seeing their story as a new fan family come through with Nier. I really have to get back to Nier Replicant, but I do know this. This isn't like a spoiler for me. Hopefully it isn't for anyone else. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think anytime that I have seen, yeah, Yoko Taro talk about, like I know more about Kaine than Emil. But anytime I've seen him talk about Kaine, it's been, like, very nice, very respectful. And, like, I think intersex especially is representation that we just don't see at all. You know what I mean? Like, we always think, you know, transgender, um, lesbian, gay, bisexual. We do see those representations a bit more. But, like, genuinely, the only representation that I personally can think of 
for, you know, an intersex person is Kine. And so, hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know much about Emil, but very glad to hear it, that that's, like, good representation. And I know a lot of people, um, when Near Replicant, the, like, remaster came out, I think it was last year? Was that last year? Yeah, it was last year. Um, when that came out, there was, like, a trophy about, like, looking up Kaine's skirt, which was, like, kind of, like, you know, they did the same thing in Near Automata with 2B, but a lot of people, you know, it rubbed people the wrong way when it came to Kaine because of that added context of her being intersex, and so, you know, it is what it is, but I don't think that's Yoko Taro's fault. I think that's, like, a, you know, higher up problem or whoever decides trophy stuff, which I'm sure is not Yoko Taro, but yeah, hell yeah. And then Jay says, so I immediately think of Edelgard and female Byleth, though their actual love doesn't really get fleshed out and their LGBT identity isn't touched. And I know Kanji and Naoto and Persona 4 examine sexuality and gender identity. would love to see Persona really dive into LGBT rap. Hell yeah. Like I said, Persona 4 is extremely queer-coded, even though it's like, doesn't really go for it 100%. It's just like, it's there. But yeah, Edelgard and female Byleth, I think... Man, it's just so wonderful. I'll talk about this a bit more later, but just so wonderful. And then Alex says, I haven't seen much, to be honest, but the FF7R had Andrea Rodea, who I think is a positive gay role model. As a straight guy, I, as a straight guy, I found Andrea surprisingly masculine for an obviously gay guy. He's also super confident and commands every scene he's in. And yeah, I really, I'm going to talk about this a bit more later as well. <laughs> but I think Andrea Rodea is really good representation and you know, I feel like they could have played him as being very, and he is stereotypical in a way, but doesn't feel disrespectful at all. It feels very, um, it's just the vibe of it. Like I said, it doesn't feel disrespectful. It just feels very empowering. And I think there's a big difference. And I think they really did him like the right way, essentially. Yeah, I love Andrea Rodea. And then Sailor X Garnet said, I'd love for the next Persona installment to actually tackle this. In Form 5, there are plenty of opportunities with some characters that I felt fell flat just for the lols. And yeah, exactly. So we can all agree Persona, right? <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys so much for your answers. I really loved reading them and I agree with most of them, like from what I've played. Obviously, there's a few I don't really know much about, but yeah, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your experiences and your thoughts. Um, and even some of your little not canon shifts, <laughs> because they are good and fun too, even if it doesn't really count as representation, like, but we're here for it. It's okay. So my answer is kind of like leading into the topic of the show where I just want to talk about my personal experience as an LGBTQ plus person in the community with LGBT representation in games and, you know, some of my thoughts, some of my experiences, all that type of stuff. So I've been playing games <laughs> since I was a child. I've been playing Crash Bandicoot and Kingdom Hearts since I was like, I don't know, since I can remember. I don't really remember much about my life before I played video games on my PlayStation 2. Um, <laughs> and the first time, personally for me, that I, that I remember seeing any openly LGBT representation in a game was when The Last of Us Left Behind came out in 2014. And this isn't to say that the games I played before then didn't have LGBT rep, although I don't think they did. Maybe I, maybe I just missed it. I don't know. But the first time I personally remember seeing any LGBT representation in a video game was The Last of Us Left Behind in 2014. And so I didn't play The Last of Us. <laughs> like, I still haven't finished it. 
I like didn't get very far into it. I haven't played the DLC. Like I haven't, I haven't done much. But obviously, it was really big when it came out in like the end of 2013, and then the DLC in early 2014. And so I watched a bit of it. I was, I think I was on Tumblr at that time, and I remember seeing gifts. <laughs> of Ellie and I don't remember the girl's name like her friend that she like kisses and stuff but I remember seeing gifts of them being like oh my god because I was interested in The Last of Us I hadn't played it but I was very interested in it because like it looked beautiful um I liked Ellie I thought she looked cute and you know as like a 13 year old I was like 13 <laughs> as well and so I remember just seeing it on Tumblr and being like I'm gonna watch it just this DLC not the game <laughs> just the Left Behind DLC and I watched like I watched the whole thing on YouTube and you know I was 13 at that time and you know when you're 13 you kind of have an idea of what your sexuality is you know if you don't fit in you know if you feel a bit weird about things I mean does anyone really fit in when they're 13 but you know especially when you're not straight when you're questioning your sexuality all that stuff like I think that was really the first time I had seen any LGBT rep like in any media other than like Demix time when I was like 11. <laughs> but you know, fictional characters, I want to say that was the first time that I really saw LGBT rep was The Last of Us Left Behind. And I think what's really unique about that was like I said, I was like 13 when I watched that, 13, 14. And I think what's really unique about that was that, you know, Ellie was about that age too. I can't remember her exact age. I want to say maybe she's like 15 in the first Last of Us. I don't know. Don't like, don't hold me to that. But it's really, you know, it, feel, it felt very innocent because I think a lot of the time in media, when you do see LGBT rep, a lot of the time it can be hypersexualized when that's, you know, it just happens a lot where it's like, oh, the girls are kissing each other and it's made out to be this big thing or like they're doing it for the tension of men and it's, it's very hypersexualized or a lot of the times when it's like uh, a gay relationship, so like men loving men it can come off as being, like, this very, like, naughty thing, like, it's just very weird, even if it's not hypersexualized, which a lot of times it is, it's framed as being this bad, this, like, weird thing, whereas with Left Behind, it's, like, they're kids, <laughs> like, I don't know if you can really do that when it comes to kids, and it comes off as being very innocent, and it's just, you know, Ellie has a crush on her friend, and she just gives her a smooch, and <laughs> it's, like, it's very wholesome and it doesn't have, it doesn't feel like it's appealing to a certain male gaze or like, you know, it, it feels like it's just wholesome and good. It's not weird at all. And, you know, seeing that, you know, when you're like 13 and you think you're probably some sort of gay <laughs> and you're watching, you know, people that are like roughly your age, obviously, you know, it wasn't written by people my age, but, you know, Ellie's like a teenage girl as well. And it, it hit different, you know? I remember watching it and just being like, oh. Because, like, obviously I had known at that point that, like, it was an option to be gay. <laughs> but, like, it's, it's different. It's really different when you see something that you don't often see. And you're like, oh. Like, even now when I see, like, LGBT rap, especially women loving women, because that's just, like, my experience. Um it's just kind of like, it, it feels different. <laughs> you don't see it as much. And then when you do see it, you're like, oh, this connects with me in a way that straight romances don't. You know, I've played many games where there's been some sort of romance and it just doesn't hit the same way as when it's two women. 
And I think if you are an LGBTQ plus person, you will know what I'm talking about. When you feel represented in that way, it, it hits different. <laughs> and so that was my first sort of experience. And so, you know, luckily over the years, we have seen more LGBT rep. And I don't know if maybe that's just kind of that I didn't play many of games. Like before that point, I started getting really into games around like 2012. But I do think we are starting to see more LGBT representation in video games, not just in the AAA side of things, but like especially in the indie games, but you know, also in AAA, which is really good. But once again, it's not easy to come by in comparison to say straight characters or cisgender characters. So there is very much still that. There are some series that have like no representation there are some series or developers that have lots or, you know, decent amount of representation in comparison to what we're used to, but I really do feel like we need more. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, another game that I remember playing as a teenager that was, you know, not my first experience, obviously, because Left Behind was, but another one that really resonated with me was, like, The Strange. I played this when I was in high school, and once again, as a teenager, <laughs> it's just really weird in general. And I remember playing that game and seeing Max and Chloe. And I knew going into it that they were a couple because, well, that they could be a couple because it was all over Tumblr at the time. <laughs> and I played it after all the episodes had come out. And yeah, I just remember playing that game and seeing Max and Chloe's relationship unfold and being like, oh, like this just, it feels good. And, um, yeah, I don't want to go too much into spoilers. <laughs> I might do that later. But actually, you know what? I'll do it now. I'll do it now. I'll get it out of the way. So just like skip ahead a little bit if you don't want any spoilers for The Last of Us Left Behind or like The Strange. So I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> There's your warning. So one unfortunate thing, even though I love Ellie and uh, her friend, her friend, you know, her crush in Left Behind, and I really love Max and Chloe's relationship in Life is Strange, they do follow the barrier lesbians trope, which is a bit unfortunate. Uh, and this, you know, it's a whole trope. It doesn't just happen in video games. It happens in TV and movies, where a lot of the time when you have a women-loving women relationship, a sapphic relationship, um, one of them dies. <laughs> At least one of them dies, which is unfortunate to say the least. You know, you finally get representation that you like and then one of them dies at the end. Like, what the fuck is that? So again, like it could be better, <laughs> even though I do really love them. And I do think, you know, in, in the case of like Ellie, it's like they're living through this apocalypse with zombies and shit. And then with Max and Chloe, like it is very intentional to the story and you can actually choose to save Chloe, even though, you know, a lot of people would say that's not the canon ending. <laughs> Because it just, you know, it doesn't feel the right. It doesn't feel like the right ending, I guess. Um, but it is an option. So, you know, it makes sense in the context. But still kind of like, ooh. Mm. <laughs> but another thing I want to talk about is how LGBTQ plus representation in games. Not just games, but, you know, I'm, I'm talking about games. Um, can also be not straightforward and messy. I think messy is a really good way to put it. So really implying that maybe these characters are gay or, you know, that this character isn't cisgender and queer coding things, but not outright saying it, not explicitly saying it. 
And I think this works in some cases, but a lot of times it doesn't and it just kind of leads to arguments online, <laughs> which is really unfortunate. And so I'm going to go a bit into spoilery stuff here for Persona 4 specifically. Um, also a bit about Danganronpa, but I think that's like a bit further up. So just Persona 4 for now. I'm going to go some spoilers for Persona 4. If you don't want to hear it, don't listen. But I think Persona 4 is a great example of how messy <laughs> um, questioning LGBT rep can be. And so I feel like the best way to explain this is just to explain my experience with this game. So I played Persona 4 for the first time when I was a teenager. And, you know, I remember seeing Kanji for the first time. And I was like, oh, I love him. You know, he's voiced by Troy Baker and he's, you know, he's so adorable, whatever. I loved him right away. And one of our first introductions introductions to Kanji is him talking to Naoto, who is presented as a male. He is presented as being a young boy, you know, young like a teenage boy detective. That's how he presents himself. He, you know, he pronouns, dressing like a teenage boy, dressing like a detective, whatever. <laughs> um, we assume that he is a man or boy, I guess, because he's a teenager. But you know, we see them interacting and Kanji is kind of like flustered because he's like, why do I feel this way about a man? Because this is a guy, like this is another guy. Why am I like blushing? Like, why do I feel this way? Why am I acting all fruity? <laughs> and, you know, that has implications. <laughs> he is crushing on someone who he believes at that time to be a boy. And so this leads to Kanji's sort of crisis. And obviously this crisis that leads to like his shadow self and all this isn't just triggered by Naoto's existence and thinking that he could, you know, be in love with a man, but it is triggered by other things such as, you know, his feelings about femininity, that type of stuff. But when you see Kanji's shadow self for the first time in the game, he's presented as this very flamboyant exaggerated gay man you know it's that type of representation that's kind of it can be icky when you see it <laughs> it's like oh this is really stereotypical but it really works when it comes to persona 4 because that's sort of I feel like the whole point of the shadow self it's this part of yourself that you feel incredibly insecure about and it's extremely exaggerated and it can look stereotypical because maybe you know you do feel that way but you don't want people to know you know it's all this type of stuff and I think it works very well and I remember um playing Persona 4 for the first time where you know the protagonist looks at the midnight channel that night and he sees Kanji acting this way you know very very explicitly gay very explicitly stereotypically gay after you know his interaction interactions with Naoto and it's like as a player when you're playing that you're like okay this character is gay <laughs> like this character is obviously gay. He's obviously struggling with his sexuality, you know, whether or not he's gay or bisexual, you know, I'm just saying gay right now because that's how it kind of presents itself at first. It's very explicit about that. That's how Kanji is thinking about himself. And that's how his actions have sort of led us to interpret what's going on. However, <laughs> at, you know, the actual kin of the game once you finish Kanji's dungeon, he defeats his shadow self, he quote-unquote accepts himself. Even after that happens, we, we learn that, you know, for Kanji, it's 
less about who he's attracted to and more so about femininity in general. He's worried that because he knits, because he has all these sort of like feminine interests, he's worried, and no, he just doesn't really get along with girls. He gets along better with guys. He's worried that people are going to, you know, perceive him as gay or perceive him as not being masculine, as not being a man, that type of stuff. So it does end up still having some some good, you know, themes and stuff about masculinity, femininity, you know, uh, what's the word that I'm thinking of? Toxic masculinity. <laughs> like, it does end up having some stuff to say about that, but the way that it presents itself kind of derails itself, because when you first play it, you're like, okay, this, is, this man's gay, but then, you know, it, it feels misleading. It feels misleading. I felt misled. <laughs> and Kanji even says in, like, the end of his dungeon where he's talking to himself, he's like, it's not a matter of, you know, man or woman or whatever he says. You know, I just want to be me, essentially. And, you know, I think, I think it works. I think it's, you know, it's a good theme to have. But I think that the way they go about it isn't the best. And I think, you know, Atlas never confirms anything about Kanji's sexuality, which I think is fine because he's clearly struggling with his sexuality, exploring his sexuality, trying to figure out who he is as a teenager. I don't expect teenagers that are questioning their sexuality to know their sexuality by any means because Lord knows I still don't. Um, <laughs> however, uh, there's a few at least one interview that I've seen with Troy Baker on YouTube where he's asked about Kanji and Troy Baker explicitly states that, you know, Kanji is gay and that Atlas directed him that way and told him that Kanji was gay. And so then it leads to even more questions of like, why are they saying this to voice actors? Then they don't say it in the game, but then the game has, you know, these different ideas of what's going on. It's presented differently all of these things. And it just feels really messy. And I'm not here to say what <laughs> what's going on with Kanji or any of these characters. I'm just saying it's extremely messy when you think about how it's presented and then how it ends up being and sort of like the discourse around it. And it's, it's very nuanced, I think. And it can be very messy. And I think another thing to point out about Persona 4 is that even though, okay, here's the other thing, is that even though the game makes it seem that Kanji is not gay, you know, after that point, <laughs> after that point, they just leave that all behind, um, and, you know, Kanji's like, I like women, you know, all these things. Even though they leave that behind, throughout basically the entire game, Yosuke specifically makes gay jokes about Kanji the entire time. And, like, I get it, he's a teenage boy, that's what teenage boys do, unfortunately, especially back when this game released. But it's like, so you're going to make jokes about it, but you're not going to say he's gay. You know what I mean? It's just like, so you're saying he's not gay, you know, that he likes women, <laughs> and that it was just thing about masculinity and femininity, but then Yosuke is talking about how he's scared to sleep in the same tent as Kanji, because he thinks he's gay. And, like, this continues throughout, like, the entire game, like, these types of jokes that Yosuke makes. And I feel like they just, they gotta pick one. They gotta pick what they want this character to be and they have to, you know, dedicate themselves to it because it does, it feels fucking messy. <laughs> and especially in the anime, they do this even more. There's even more gay jokes about Kanji that come off as really icky. And, man, it's just hella messy. <laughs> and so this also kind of ties into Naoto 
and how Naoto has very similar representation as Kanji, where my first time playing Persona 4, you're going through Naoto's dungeon, and you see Naoto, and, you know, Shadow Naoto is like, we're going to do this body alteration surgery or something, and you're like, oh, that's interesting, you know, Shadow Naoto starts talking about wanting to be a man, wanting to be a guy, wanting to be taken seriously, wanting, like, all these things, and you're like, okay, so Naoto up to this point has presented himself as being a boy, as, you know, he and Pranion's dressing like a boy, <laughs> acting like a boy, all these things, and and now it's kind of being implied that Naoto is a trans boy, that Naoto is a trans man, and that that's fine. I think that was great. I remember playing Persona 4 for the first time and being like, oh my god, like, this is, like, fantastic representation, like, first kanji, and now, like, trans representation, like, that's even fucking better. But then you you finish Naoto's dungeon and you come out of it being like, okay, so it was less about gender identity and more about, you know, feeling constricted by gender roles, which once again, I think can be a powerful message <laughs> about how, you know, women aren't taken as seriously and many women feel like they have to be more masculine to be taken seriously, whether it's by like wearing a suit, by dressing up as a guy whatever. But all I'm going to say is that I don't know many women that would completely present themselves as a boy just to be taken more seriously. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say that Naoto is trans. I'm not going to say anything because at the end of the day, canon suggests <laughs> that Naoto is a cis girl, which is fine, but just feels really fishy to me. They present it this way, then they kind of backpedal and they're like, actually, it's about gender roles. And like I said, still a good message, but it just feels extremely fucking messy to present a character that way, you know, as being trans and then kind of doing like a backflip. <laughs> and I think the other thing that really rubs me the wrong way about Naoto specifically is how once all the characters find out that Naoto is biologically a girl, female, whatever, they just immediately jump into treating her differently, treating her like a woman, you know, using she, her pronouns, not even asking her really how she feels about things because gender identity can be very fucking weird. And obviously, like I said, this game is kind of old at this point. It is aged. And I think, you know, when you play it now, you can really see it. But, you know, they don't stop and ask her anything. They're not like, so, you know, <laughs> what was that? Are, are you a man? Are you a woman? Like, what, what should we call you? Like, you know, they never had that conversation. They just jump right into the she, her pronouns and all that, even when it seems to make Naoto a bit uncomfortable. And it, it's just really weird. <laughs> and so I have problems with Persona 4. And I think the other thing about Persona 4 is that it also, you know, by saying that Naoto is a woman, it also makes things more confusing for Kanji because Kanji had a crush on Naoto you know, who's a woman when he, he thought that, that she was a boy. And so it's like, you know, in my mind, I'm just like, Kanji, Kanji's probably like pansexual or something. I don't think he really cares about gender, but it, it kind of gives people an argument to be like, Kanji is straight, which I think is, personally, I think that's wild. <laughs> but it's just really weird. Like, I might not be the most eloquent at, you know, phrasing all these things, 
But if you played Persona 4, you probably have an idea of what I'm talking about and how messy it is. And I know I've kind of ranted a bit. But, you know, all this is to say that representation in games oftentimes is not as straightforward as we would like it to be. A lot of the times it feels like it's being used for plot points in that we're not viewed the same way or we're not treated with the same amount of respect or we're being treated as jokes or, you know, just all these things, all these things that I don't think are great. <laughs> and so here's where I get into the Danganronpa spoilers a bit. Um, I think that Chihiro in Danganronpa Chapter 2 of the first Danganronpa game is also pretty similar to Naoto, where, although I don't think it's as bad, but I think it's still really fucking weird, where you learn that Chihiro, and this is after Chihiro's death, by the way, where you learn that Chihiro is biologically a male, even though Chihiro has, pre has been presenting himself as a girl this whole time. We learn that he's biologically male, and it's implied that he was just cross-dressing. He wasn't actually trans because he was talking to Mondo about wanting to get stronger and all these things. And so the thing with Naoto and Chihiro is that they present themselves as being trans, and maybe it is just sort of our way of, you know, our lens of seeing things as a Western audience where this game was made by and for an Eastern audience, I guess. And so there are cultural differences there, but to me, you know, my personal viewing of this, it feels like it's presented as these characters potentially being trans and then just being, you know, brushed off as, oh, they were cross-dressing. They weren't trans, they're just cross-dressing, and the characters treating them with little respect, because, you know, like I said, they don't really treat Naoto with respect by asking, like, what's up with your gender, like, what's up? And in Danganronpa, they, <laughs> they just, like, it's really weird. It's... Yeah, anyway, they kind of do the same thing where it's like, oh, she, you know, he was a boy. <laughs> they don't think any more than that. There's not a conversation about, you know, you know, what should we refer to them as? Anyway, it's messy as hell. And so the interesting thing about characters like Naoto and Chihiro is that this kind of starts a debate within the fandom. You know, are these characters trans or, or are they cis cross-dressers? You know, what's going on and this can often cause a lot of friction <laughs> where you know one side is like oh they're cis or they're straight or whatever and then the other side is like no they are clearly trans and the way you know I'm not trans <laughs> so you might want to take what I say with a grain of salt here but the way that I personally see it is that think whatever you want just don't hate other people for thinking what they think because at the end of the day, even if, you know, canon says that they are just cross-dressers, they are extremely queer-coded. And I think a lot of people need to learn more about the idea of what queer-coded is. Because it doesn't, it doesn't mean that a character is explicitly gay or trans. It just means that, you know, in my eyes, being queer-coded means that a lot, the way they are presented and the way that, you know, they are, is going to resonate with a lot of queer people. <laughs> And I think that says a lot. If a lot of trans people are saying that, you know, the characters of Chihiro or Naoto are really resonating with them and really make, you know, make them feel seen, I think that's something to take into consideration. And I don't think that we should ever take that away from people, even though the canon might say otherwise. You know, similarly, I, I wouldn't really hate on someone if they said, you know, if they took the canon point of view and said they were cross-dressers, because that's, that's the canon. But yeah. Just, just saying, if you ever see characters, characters, if you ever see people debating a character's gender or sexuality or whatever, just let them live. 
unless they're about to say that like Ellie from The Last of Us is straight, like obviously that's not the fucking case. Um, <laughs> or even saying that a straight character is gay, like they're probably bisexual. At least, at least you know. But yeah, it, it's really fucking weird. <sighs> anyway time to get out of, well, kind of get out of the messiness of things. I do want to keep talking a bit. <laughs> so kind of going away from the messiness of Persona 4 specifically, I want to talk about another moment that I felt very seen. So I, I kind of talked about this before. I think LGBT rap in games is getting better. And I think a moment when I really realized this was, it was an E3. I don't remember what year it was. I want to say maybe 2017. I think I want to, I want to say it was 2017, but it might've been a bit earlier. You know, I don't remember. I think it was 2017. We'll go with that. E3 2017, where I think it was the last time that PlayStation did an E3, like, showcase, I want to say. They had a trailer for The Last of Us Part 2, and for me, this felt like a big moment, and maybe it didn't for other people, but, you know, E3 is a big event in the gaming industry. Everyone is watching, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, like, you're probably watching, and... A lot of people are excited for The Last of Us Part 2. A lot of people love Ellie. A lot of people love Joel. A lot of people love this game. A lot of people love PlayStation. All these things. And in that trailer for The Last of Us Part 2, you see Ellie and Dina kiss. And it's, like, very wholesome. They're dancing. It's so sweet. And I remember watching that and, like, just feeling so much joy. Like, I think for me it was part of a, a full circle moment because, you know, I remember the way I felt, you know, playing. Well, not playing, but watching the last of us left behind and seeing ellie back then when you know she was kind of my age and then you know again when i was older seeing her kind of growing up alongside me and having a girlfriend and you know kissing a woman and all these things and you know seeing that on such a big scale because like e3 is a huge marketing event and a lot of gamers unfortunately are really bigoted and homophobic and you know i think a lot of people you know it it might have been a bit risky. Like, I hate to say it, but, you know, when people saw that, like, I know there were gamers online that were like, oh, it's being shoved down our throats because two women kissed in a trailer on E3 and I couldn't avoid it. I had to watch it because it was E3 and it's like, good for them. Like, honestly, <laughs> I love, I love PlayStation and I love Naughty Dog for doing that because I think, honestly, it kind of takes a lot of balls, <laughs> especially when you're at that level of being a AAA studio <laughs> where a lot of people are paying attention to you and a lot of people are going to have something to fucking say. And it just meant a lot to see that on such a big scale. And I, I really appreciate them for that. So cheers to that. <sighs> okay. Once again, I have more to talk about. <laughs> So as many of y'all know, Edelgard is my wife. I love Edelgard and Fire Emblem Three Houses, I would say also marked another milestone in my LGBT gaming life. So, you know, playing video games, like I'd played a lot of the Persona games beforehand and I'd romanced women in the past, but I think what set the Fire Emblem Three Houses experience apart for me was that, you know, in the Persona games, I had always romanced a woman, but it was always from the perspective of a man. So it didn't it was never LGBT rep. It, it never made me feel a certain way because at the end of the day, I was still playing as a man. However, in Fire Emblem Three Houses, I was able to play as a woman and romance a woman. <laughs> like it, it sounds so simple, but it meant so much to me. You know, I think playing as a woman in a game in general, having that option already makes me feel seen in a way that a lot of games don't. 
because, you know, at the end of the day, there's more male characters than female characters, especially playable ones. And so already, you know, you feel a bit more seen in that way. But when you're able to play as a woman and romance another woman, it's like, oh my god. <laughs> and so, like, I remember getting to the end of that game and, you know, having this cute little moment with Edelgard. And I, like, I cried. <laughs> like, like, I love Edelgard, but I just had this moment of, like, oh my god. Like, I'm actually able to do this and, like, feel represented in a way that I hadn't before. And that was really meaningful for me, especially because, you know, even a game like The Last of Us, um, you know, you can play as Ellie. And she's the main character. She's in, you know, a women loving women relationship. But, you know, Ellie's not me. But like Byleth, Byleth is me, you know, when you're playing as like a self-insert character you're like that. That's literally me. <laughs> and so having that option, being able to choose and just experiencing it was very, very meaningful for me. So like, when I talk about Edelgard and how she's my wife, like, as much as I love her, I do feel like it is also a bit deeper than that, you know? It's not just her character. It's that experience for me of having that option and just feeling represented and resonating in that way. It's, it's very... And like I said earlier, it's that kind of thing where I don't know if you would really understand it unless you felt it yourself, you know? I think not just LGBTQ plus people, but also minority groups in general, people of color, disabled people, pretty much every other minority that is not, you know, the white people, the white men, the straight, you know, all that, all that type of stuff that we think of, you know, the majority, I guess, the oppressors. <laughs> it just hits different. It really does when you get to see a character and you feel like, oh my god, like, that's me. Especially when there are those intersecting identities, because like I said, you know, I've played as women before in games, but that was my first time really playing as, like, a gay woman in a video game and having that option. And so, you know, there's so many layers to representation, not just for LGBTQ plus people, but just people. <laughs> so it meant a lot to me. But, um, yeah, let's move on to the next little portion of this. <laughs> it's going on a bit longer than I planned, but hopefully it's good. So I talked about this and I mentioned it a few times, but LGBTQ plus representation has come a long way in video games, I feel like. Still has a long way to go, don't get me wrong, but I think another good example of this is Final Fantasy VII, and oddly enough, there are, you know, no canon LGBTQ plus characters in Final Fantasy VII that I could think of at the top of my head. It's not not really much. <laughs> However, I do think, you know, I remember when Final Fantasy VII Remake got announced, a lot of people were worried about the cross-dressing part and, you know, just wall market in general, that part of the game. Because in the, you know, in the original, it can come off as kind of icky when, you know, Cloud is cross-dressing and it just, it rubs people the wrong way. They're like, is that, you know, offensive in the modern day? And like, honestly, I don't think the cross-dressing itself is offensive. I think it's the way that the original goes about it a bit. And honestly, I think more things in Wall Market in the original are more offensive than uh, the cross-dressing bit. It, there's some implications that, like, these gay men are very predatory and all that type of stuff that we don't really talk about as much, but, like, I, I kind of think that's worse than the cross-dressing in the original. Anyway, so when they were remaking the game, a lot of people were curious about what they were going to do because it felt hella outdated <laughs> to be in a game coming out, you know, in the modern day. However, Remake really dealt with the entire wall market section of the game incredibly, in my opinion. Like, 
even though there, you know, was very little, you know, obviously Andrea Rodea is a gay man, but, like, generally, there's no, like, none of the main characters in Found Face 7 are ever confirmed canon to be, you know, LGBT in any capacity. However, that representation in 7 Remake, like, I think I cried. <laughs> I think I cried at, during, like, the Walmart get stuff when they're at the Honeybee Inn, and, you know, there's this whole song, and I listen, I, li- I listen to this song all the time when I played Remake, um, but Stand Up, if y'all remember the song Stand Up, it plays during, you know, when they're having the little section in the Honey Bee Inn, like, the dancing and the cross-dressing where Cloud gets his dress, and it's so gay. Like, literally, the lyrics to the song are Stand Up, Bear Your Soul with Pride. Like, it is, it's hella gay. <laughs> and, you know, this could have been done in so many ways that almost, because it feels like the original does in an icky way kind of make a mockery of LGBT people in some ways, whereas in Remake, it's really empowering and it's really nice. <laughs> like, and you know, obviously they're not about to say, oh, like Cloud's a gay man or Cloud is trans or anything like that, but it's just this very simple statement of that Andrea Rodea explicitly say, says that beauty is a thing to which notions of gender don't apply. Like, you you can be a man and wear a dress. And obviously that is a bit different than, you know, LGBT rep, but I still think it, it goes hand in hand in a way. Like I said, Andrea Rodea is, like, very obviously LGBT. <laughs> so there is also that representation. But it really, it hits different. <laughs> and... You see Cloud not not so much, like, ashamed of cross-dressing, but just a little bit embarrassed, you know? Like, because of all the attention that he's getting from, like, being in this big-ass dress and all that. And it, it feels very progressive in a way that, you know, I think a lot of people going into Remake were nervous about. But it ended up, I think, being really incredible and really meaningful. And so you know, going forward with 7 Remake, I'm not really expecting anything big in terms of LGBT representation, but I do think, you know, it's a very direct comparison of how far LGBTQ plus representation has come when you compare the original 7 with Remake, because 7 had some pretty icky, questionable representations, whereas 7 Remake is, like, very empowering and good. (laughs) Like, it's, it's really good. And so... Just as a direct comparison, I want to talk about that a bit. <sighs> However, like I said, LGBTQ plus representation still isn't perfect. I think you can look to games like, you know, Vanilla Persona 5 just to, you know, that's at the top of my head, one that comes to mind. You know, we need more and we often need better representation. You know, it's not just a thing of give me a bunch of gay characters. It's also a thing of give me good representation. <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, something like Corpse Party where there is a canon, you know, gay character, gay lesbian character, but it just, she's not treated well at all. (laughs) And it's like, oh, oof. (laughs) So there is stuff like that, but I am really optimistic. And another thing I want to throw out there was, you know, a lot of companies are making more efforts to be inclusive. I think you can look at Sims 4 for that. I know they recently did a pronouns update. So Um, this is something that you don't really see much in games, although you do see stuff like in Animal Crossing where, you know, it's less pick a gender and more, like, pick a style and, like, you can change it whenever you want. I think stuff like that is also, like, very good. 
but it was a Sims 4 thing that I really wanted to bring attention to because they did a pronoun update. I think you can add in like basically any pronoun that you want for your Sims. So really, really great. I think we're coming a long way and it's really good to see. It's really, it's really good to see. I hope we see more of it. And I think we will. Like, I know we will. Um, I'm optimistic, so. Hell yeah. <laughs> so happy Pride Month. <laughs> Play more gay games. Um, advocate for more representation, not just for LGBTQ plus people, but also people of color, disabled people, and other minority groups that are often left unrepresented or badly represented, and also advocate for representation of, you know, the intersections of those identities, because, like, I'm trying to think, I think literally every gay female character that I've mentioned in this podcast so far have been white. <laughs> so, like, where am I getting the black lesbian characters? You know what I mean? Like, there's so many different intersections there that we don't always account for, and that can make people feel even more represented and, you know, feel even better. And so we also have to advocate for not just white gays, <laughs> but, you know, everyone, everyone. So keep that in mind as well. But yeah, I like, I have a lot to say on this topic. I, I could probably go on, <laughs> but I'll leave that for another time. I got, I got the most important stuff out of the way, so that's all that matters. <laughs> However, I really wish that I could have been gay with Tharja in Fire Emblem Awakening. I think that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> also, another little fun fact for you, Poison from Street Fighter. She's a trans woman, uh, but she was also my gay awakening. So, shout out to her. There was a trailer, I think it was Street Fighter X Tekken, and Poison's in it, and there's a Hollywood Undead song playing. I remember watching that when I was, like, 13 or, like, 12 or something and being like, hmm, feeling some type of way. So, Poison from Street Fighter was my gay awakening, and I should have been able to romance Tharja in Fire Emblem Awakening, but that's besides the point. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble about my gay experiences and also just some of my thoughts in general. If you have any thoughts about any of this, please comment below because I think it's a very important conversation to have. If you're on the YouTube video, comment below. Um, if you're listening on podcast services, uh, you can go to the YouTube video and comment, or you can go to um, the Discord server, just go on like the podcast channel, we can talk about it a bit. I think it's an important conversation, so let's keep it going. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for listening to the Luna's Galaxy podcast. It has been a long one. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I will be back on Tuesday, June 21st, for the next episode, where we'll be discussing who knows what. However, I have a very strong inclination, unless something, like, big happens, that we're probably going to be talking about Isla Somnium Files, since Nirvana Initiative will be coming out, like, a few days after the podcast airs. So, if you haven't played Isla Somnium Files yet, do it, because we might do a spoiler cast or something. If you want to be a part of the Luna's Galaxy community, you can join our Discord server, link in the description. You can also keep up with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Twitch, where I'm at Emulated Games. Hope you all have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time. Also, P.S., I forgot to mention this earlier, but I will be streaming Summer Games Fest this week and the Xbox and Bethesda Game Showcase. So if you're watching them and you want to join me on Twitch, I will be live reacting to them. But anyway, the podcast is over now. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>